show. And what's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and today I'm still here with Alex. I'm stuck with him. I can't get rid of him. What's up, Alex? <laughs> Shout out to today's episode sponsor, The War Room, because all three of us are wearing the freaking t-shirt because John was so cool he went and changed. And today's guest is John Lalonde, Marine Corps veteran, friend of the show, and a man so good at sales that not only did he build a half a million dollar VA loan business in one year, but he also convinced me to help him move into my house, sell him my wholesaling company, and now he's bringing in a hundred K a month in the first year of business. And today we're going to teach you how to do that as well as just catch up on life. Cause the three of us are good friends who never get to see each other. Cause we live all over the world. It's gonna be a good time. So John, welcome buddy. John, uh, really good to see you. I'm really, it's a little unfortunate that we had to include David in this. I would have loved to just catch up with you one-on-one, -on -one, but you know, given the circumstances, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger. Vic One, Oscar Mike. You're welcome for introducing you assholes. Yeah, I actually really like that. I really like that intro. But yeah, not really great to catch up with you guys. We really haven't had a chance to do this. I know we've been busy with work, so I'm excited, man. This is going to be fun. I am in Medellin, Colombia. I've been trying to get both of you to make a trip out here. I've been here for, uh, let's see, eight months now, and I have a, a visa to extend until 2024 you didn't come see me last time you're out here i'm a little upset about that. I, I travel a lot you know i travel a lot so uh i went to what did i where did i go though i went to um what yeah we went, went to guatemala, guatemala yeah. without him just gotta just gotta jab that every time <laughs> i know man you guys will never let me live that down the video came out the, the video was fantastic by the way I, I watched it. I was I watched the entire thing. I typically wouldn't waste my time with something like that, but it was really good. Literally yesterday, Alex, I get this text message. It's John, Adit, and Victor, the three guys that I went to Peru and Colombia with. And it's like, one of them's like, bros, we need to do another trip. And another one's like, yeah, how does a volcano sound? And someone else goes, there's one in Guatemala and Ecuador. Let's hike a volcano in Guatemala. And I was like, all three of you were invited on this trip and posted the picture of the volcano. <laughs> But they all had stuff going on. It is what it is. But I was like, I'm not hiking that volcano again just because you guys were late on the last one. We can do a different volcano. <laughs> I'm And I'm down to do a different volcano. It's hard, man, because like running a business and, and everybody can relate here. And like, especially I know like Alex, you're kind of lucky at this point because you get to travel for work. But like, I don't know, for Dave and I, you know, you're running a business and then you have employees that rely on you. And also, I just feel like a little bit of guilt and maybe it's my own thing that I need to work out, but like a little bit of guilt when I'm like, oh, I'm going to go and, and take a week or two off and just go like unplug, take my phone off. And what happens if they need me? And so, uh, that's been like, I think the hardest part within the last 
couple of months with traveling, uh, I had a little break where I didn't have like that big of a team, but now my team's starting to scale up a little bit. Yeah. So actually I want this, this is a really good insight because people, you know, what they do is they look at, maybe they look at my life and like, Alex travels so much. And it's like, yeah, but Alex doesn't make that much money. Right. So I've chose, I've chosen, I've chosen my sort of my sacrifices and my goals. And so John, you're sitting there, you're like, I'm really trying to grind out and make this business and it's succeeding. And it, the sacrifice is I don't get the trot. You don't get to travel as much. And same for David. Um, although he's kind of bad at both, but you know, people really have to make that distinction. <laughs> people really have to make that distinction about like what it is that they want out of life. You know, I've, I'll probably never be a hyper successful entrepreneur because it doesn't just feed my soul as much, but you know, in, in t this afternoon, I'm going to go to Austin to film six episodes for my podcast. And from Austin, I'm going to go to Lisbon and we're going to go hike 17 days in Spain. We're going to hike from Porto, Portugal, 170 miles. We're going to walk to uh, Compostela, uh, Santiago de Compostela, Spain. And so it's terrible timing for work, but also like if I had a business, it wouldn't be possible. And so pe people go, pe people can say whatever they want to say, but it's like, I won't make as much money because I'm exploring the world. And that's my, that's my little journey. But there's a lot of people like you who, um, they make a lot of money and you have a great business and it's going to carry you for a long time. And, and like, so Dave posted something in the group the other day. I thought, I think he got like 180 likes and, uh, I thought it was really good advice. Somebody, somebody posted something like, I don't really know what I should do. Like, I don't know how I should invest. And like, you know, we get a lot of veterans that we help out that post like blanket comments like that. Like they'll just post in a group, like, what should I do with $30,000 with no context? Right. And so I really like Dave's advice, which is, well, first of all, like spend at least three or four hours, sit down, think about what you want your ideal life to look like. How much time do you have to invest it? Just like if you were like selling something and you would need to know a little bit more about their background, about what their goals are, what their struggles are, what they're dealing with right now, because someone that's got $30,000, that's 19 and they're, you know, living in the barracks, they still have a full-time job. They're going to have a different risk tolerance than somebody that's like, I don't know, 30 years old with kids. And if they lose their $30,000, then, and they lose their job, like they're done. Right. And so the reason I, I, I bring that up is I think like, how often are we like going back and realigning with what our actual end goals are? Cause sometimes that target changes. It's changed for me in the past where I've been like, no, I'm going lifestyle. I'm going to go hundred percent lifestyle and I'm going to, I'm going to travel more. And then I do it and I'm like, like, man, I, I'm, I miss work and I'll go on the, I'll go into 14 hour, 18 hour days with work for like six months at a time. And then I want to swing back the other way. I'm sure you guys deal with that. I don't know if you have any like advice. I can tell you a little bit about what I do, which is no plan, but. Well, that's why what I'm trying to find is I know there's no, there's no balance, right? But I'm trying to find as close to a balance as I can, which is trying to scale as simply as possible. And so one of the things that I've been working on with the guy that I'm helping build some of my systems out with is I, his, his brain, I don't want to say his brain thinks in complexities, but his brain thinks in like, what's the fastest way to solve this problem in a lot of ways in it's adding, right? Like I can grab this tool to solve this problem, which works. But in my head, it's like, no, 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 no. There is a way to solve that problem without adding that tool. 
that's the way that I want to solve the problem. Like, how do we streamline to solve, like, eliminate things? You know, how do we, instead of adding a new communication tool to combine these communication tools, how do we just instill a new guideline for what kind of communication gets through the chain to minimize, you know, X, Y, Z, um, because what I'm trying to get to is like, I don't want to have necessarily a seven, eight figure business. I want to have a business that runs smooth enough that I can say, I'm going to be gone for a week. Call me if you need me. And like, these are the five things that are worth calling me on. Anything else I trust you to run. A lot of people have both though. And so I think, you know, the people that have both spent a lot of time in the build phase, right? So they did go in through like a really hard grind phase where, um, you know, they, they were working 16, 18 hours a day. So you've got like the delayed gratification side, but then like you could always die tomorrow. Yeah. So just to be clear, um, at least with real estate, I learned really, really early on how to just hire good people. So for my real estate doesn't take any, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I probably spend less than five hours a month on my real estate. And that, that's very, how many, um, what is that? What does that look like? Single family homes and a 52 unit apartment complex. Yeah. So I'm GP on it. I have to write the investor reports. I have to deal with, you know, the court cases and all that other the evictions. Like I deal, but also I have great, 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 great partners. Um, now I don't make as much money as you guys, but all the money that, that comes in is like zero stress. So, um, like zero stress. Yeah. So, uh, and that, that will grow now that'll grow a little slower because I'm not focusing on it right now. I'm focusing on making uh Brandon Turner very famous. Um, but you know, same thing, build phase. Right. And then, you know, some, somewhere down the road, it's like, now you have, you have this, you know, production capability, you have this, this, um, um, balance sheet that spits out cash. So I'm in sort of the same boat. I really don't want to wait until I'm 50 to travel. I really do want to travel and you know, I'm still in my thirties for a few more months. And so it was very important for me to like get out and see a good chunk of the world. I think probably within the next probably two or three years, I'll actually have seen most of the places that I want to see and I can slow it down at least internationally. Yeah. What about you, Dave? What's your portfolio about right now? Cause I know you sold a couple of properties. Well, hopefully in about, uh, two and a half weeks, it'll be less one hotel. 40 units. Yeah. 40 units plus. Yeah. But, uh, so currently there's a hotel, uh, but we're, we're chopping that one off and pulling our cash back from it. But there's a, we've got a, you and I and Hugh own a 23 unit and 15 unit apartment that are both cash flowing. And then we have, uh, uh, I've got a, uh, RV park, like a 20, 28 pad RV park that also has a single family house at a two, one apartment. And then, um, uh, you know, I've, I would actually have to go look at my little spreadsheet. Cause yeah, I've been selling off underperforming, not even underperforming, just properties that haven't been renovated in the last 24 months, all my, anything under five units. Um, but I think I'm sitting at 10 physical properties. I just, I would have to go do the math on doors not that anyone cares but it's a mix of one to four units that i have left uh, i think it's 11 physical properties right now but we're under contract on one of those to sell and one that should go under contract hopefully this next week that i just listed uh, and i'm just selling those off to either 
pay off whatever remaining bad debt I have or hold a little extra cash. Uh, just the ones that, like I said, haven't been renovated and have some equity uh, rather than spending the time renovating. I'm just, you know, they weren't in the best locations just because of how I scaled initially. And so I'm moving the capital to better locations or more hands-off properties. You know what I think we learned from that, which I'm sure most of the audience that's like thinking about either buying our apartments or yeah, they've learned this lesson. Um, I've spoke to a couple of people recently is stabilization isn't a passive, like it's not passive income. Stabilizing an apartment complex and, and which is what we did with the lodge and Oaken, we looked at it as, okay, we're going to buy all these, all these apartments that you know, they need renovation. We could increase the rent. And we, yeah, we all had full time. We're all working 12 hours. I don't know exactly hours wise. We're working a lot, right? Like we're, we're working a lot. And we looked at it as like, this is going to be so easy. This is just like it, you know, let's just, all we need to do is every once in a while hop on. I don't even think we had 30 minute calls like scheduled at, at the time when we bought them. It was just kind of like all running itself. Oh, it'll all, but like, the reality is when you're stabilizing apartment complex, it is a job. It is not passive income yet. Like it, it gets to be passive income once they're stabilized, but stabilizing is not, is not easy. And that I think was the biggest lesson that I learned from all of the investments that we bought over the last two years. Cause we, we got lucky, especially when the market was up. And, uh, it's funny because I remember something Alex said, we had a podcast like two years ago and we we're talking about BA loans. He's like, you know, the math that doesn't always go up, right? I'm like, Alex, you're an idiot. What do you know? <laughs> and so, uh, well, like, like we got, we got so lucky with a lot of the deals that we were buying. Like, I think we, like, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember, we bought a, like a four, five unit package and we bought them for like, I, I don't remember the numbers exactly. I just remember 200 and then we refied and we pulled out like a hundred thousand dollars, like six months later. And like, we didn't buy them at that good of a deal. We just got lucky. And so, and the market was just going up like crazy, but like us, we're like, man, we're the best investors ever. We're freaking, we are Brandon Turner. And so it's funny, like how people will look at, at, at investments and, and they hear all the gurus. And obviously when you have something to sell, you make it sound easy, right? Like when you do have something to sell, but like the reality is it's not that it was that fucking easy. You know what I mean? Like stabilization isn't that easy. Like there's going to be evictions. Not everybody is going to be okay with you raising your rent $150, you know, like you, like not everybody's going to be, and then when you do renovations, shit comes up, we find plumbing issues. We find like freaking weird stuff that comes up and dead cats, dead people. We found a ton of dead people. I, that was one thing that I'd, I'd never thought about before I started investing. So many people die, like people die when you own almost a hundred buildings. Chances are someone's going to freaking die in one of those buildings, which has happened to us like probably more than we'd like. And so I just thought it was funny. Like I wanted to kind of like definitely more than we would like. I, I don't particularly like the idea of having dead tenants just on the record. I would like to go on the record that that is not something I daydream about at all. Yeah, I think there's a tendency. Um, it happens in the equities market too. When there's a bull market, um, everybody kind of runs, rides alongside it and they make money. And then they're like, oh my God, you know, this is so easy. And it is, and it is. But then they, especially if it happens in the beginning, it's one of the worst things that can happen to say like a flipper or an equities a trader, somebody who makes a lot of money really easily right out of the gate. Cause then they're like, I'm good and this is easy. And then they get overconfident and then they don't prepare 
properly. Uh, uh, there's a very healthy level of paranoia that should accompany investing. Because it happens, a real, like it happens, like naturally. Let's say you do a sport. Let's say you do like jujitsu, for example, or you lift weights. Like typically, people don't just like go in and they're like better than everybody else. There's not outside factors. Like typically, you get humbled. You don't just walk into the gym and like deadlift four fifteen. You know what I mean? But like in real estate, you can get lucky on your first deal and make a hundred thousand dollars. And then you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm as good as the other person that's making $100,000 that's been doing it for 20 years and has all of these systems in place. We have the same result. We have the same, it's the same result. So I'm just as good as them. And I think like, you know, if you look at the podcast from two years ago versus now, like some huge lessons that I learned was I'm not as good as I thought I was. And we were, <laughs> thank you, Alex. I knew you knew that, but like no one else knew. I said, luckily I've been reminded by you guys for the last two years. So yeah, we, <laughs> not everybody see that. And that's the thing is like, that's why you need people like Alex and I to tell you that you suck because when, when you don't know that you think you're good. <laughs> and so like, you know, the last two years, it was really easy for all of us to make money in real estate. Like we were buying flips where we should have lost. Maybe like, maybe we should have broke even, but like the market saved our ass. We made $50,000 and we're like, that we're it. really good at the market this. crashed. So it wasn't in call it eight and then the market really like was bottomed out in real estate in 2010 right it was it's only been up for 13 years it's only been up for 13 years so anybody who bought in the last 13 years has made money there's been like if you lost money last like you really did something egregious um and so and so but that's not just that's not just 13 years like that's think about it from your not you, our perspective who you know we have probably seven years of investing or whatever in there but think about it, the people who started in 2019 where they didn't just see the rise. They saw it meteoric. Right. And so for the last three years, they've been like, oh my God, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a billionaire because this is, this is just gangbusters going up. And then it comes to a screeching grinding hall in 2023. And then I don't know what's going to happen over the next few months, but my imagine my, I imagine like this economy is going to get worse, right? That the, the economy is going to get worse, right? The rates are going to go up. I mean, uh, we had a bad year in stocks, uh, and and tick t uh, generally the less liquid ac assets follow the equities market. Call it eighteen to twenty four months. So we, I don't. I mean, we we might see it continue to stag stagnate, uh, stagflate over the next few years, but um, it's not going to do what it did in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. So it's it's very interesting how people's perspective, their perception of what they are and who they are and how good they are against you know their actual results takes out of consideration like the historical timeline that we're on which is real estate crash and and then they subsidize the market with low interest rates for 10 years so of course it's up but that's not gonna happen again so what are you guys doing right now to i can talk a little bit about like what i'm doing i'm curious what you guys are doing as far as like your strategy with real estate or investing in general, because there's not just real estate. Um, I'm doing very little. I mean, Miss Kate is starting to get into real estate. She likes designing houses. She likes managing contractors. So I'm like, okay, let's, we have some cash. We're going to start buying, like, we'll probably start buying a couple of single family rentals here and there. But for the most part, um, my focus is on content. I think content's going to be way bigger than real estate. I, yeah, I saw that somewhere like recently. Like it's gonna be, it will be the biggest. You'll have the biggest ROI on content, getting eyeballs. 
Uh, I want to re re like retouch that later. But David, what about you? Yeah, I mean, but uh, I don't want to at the risk of changing the entire you know brand. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in part, I'm going all in on me, right? Uh, on the on the business, on the brand, on content as well. But as far as real estate itself, you know, and investing, uh, closing out the last one or one or two projects that I have as far as renovations, uh, not opposed to still taking on some projects, but they're going to be very light projects, nothing big. And then, you know, selling off some of the, like we already mentioned projects and I'm looking for, I don't, not, not necessarily bigger deals, but deals that I can be involved in without having to be the ops side. So, you know, I can either, I'm the fine, the guy who finds it, negotiates it or raises, you know, brings, brings in capital with, with other partners who will handle the operations on a larger scale. Uh, I'm also researching development, not because I think that this is the right time in the cycle to develop, but just because I'm very intrigued by it. And I think that it'd be a fun piece of the real estate game as far as like, like the vision side. I think the creating side, creative side of real estate is more fun than the just buy and hold game. But uh, as far as investing itself, honestly, my biggest moves right now are just kind of paying off whatever remaining, you know, bad debt that I might have, i.e. a little bit of credit card debt that I took on, finish out this flip is going to go away because that's a guaranteed instant return, uh, and it's not that much anyway. Uh, so I'm going to pay off that stuff, anything that's like a guaranteed ROI, and then I'm going to stash some cash and just kind of pay attention to what's what's going on and, you know, see what's up. And, and I, I always put a little bit into index funds because it's super passive and uh, a dollar cost average into that. So. so you guys both mentioned media and... I feel like I'm interviewing both of you now, but like I'm it's <laughs> good conversation because both of you guys are, are well, Dave, especially Alex, like I could tell you're, you're building your brand up. Everyone's doing media now, like everyone and their mother is doing like TikToks, reels. And so, you know, like Facebook ads, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago where like nobody was doing them. So it was, so it was very lucrative. And I think right now, like, like connected TV ads are kind of like that. Like no, not everybody's really doing them. And so you can get in front of a lot of people for not a lot of money, but how is that going to continue where you have every single person and their mother having a Instagram where they're doing reels with like professional content, Alex Trabozzi style. Is it going to continue? Is it going to be harder to, to grow content? Have we, have we missed the boat already? I mean, you guys probably have it, but if you're starting like right now, you think like you've missed the boat already with content? Think about what you're saying. Like, if, let me give you some perspective. Um, cinema movies came out in like the twenties, but we didn't see the golden age of cinema until the eighties. So, cell phones came out. Facebook came out in 2008. Smartphones came out in 2010. So, 13 years old. No, dude. No, we're in its infancy. Like, there's somebody the biggest the biggest stars on media haven't even been born yet. Never mind behind the game. There's something crazy like 500 hours worth of content gets uploaded to YouTube every minute. 
But I would look at, I mean, I guess like when you're look when you're talking about monetization, right? The the more saturated the market gets, it's going to be more difficult to get so, in front of eyeballs, right? There's only so many people in the not everybody is using world. Like TikTok's brand new. So you're like, oh, did you already miss it? I'm like, what's the next app? People are going to migrate to apps over time. Like it's not going to be Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So there'll be new apps and there'll be new ways to reach people. So it's just the platform doesn't, that the biggest platform in the world doesn't, like something bigger is going to come along. Facebook will fade just like MySpace faded. And, and the new thing will come out and it'll be a slightly different way to interact with people and that will reach more people. Also, um, there, I'll tell you, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Let's say you're, let's say you, you're starting a podcast today. What's going to happen over the next three years is that, um, AI is going to digitally, um, translate your content into every single language. And it's going to do it to very, very high fidelity. And the fucked up thing is that I've already seen this. If you look around, you can find it. They'll do it on video too. So everything we're saying, it will come through in Spanish and my lips will move in a way that says that I'm speaking Spanish. And that will happen completely automatically. So you're like, aren't the eyeballs already exist? I'm like, no, you're actually going to go from 350 million Americans, possible market share to 8 billion people. Because Yeah. And so the market share for attention is going to grow and grow and grow as more and more people get these and as more and more people get high-speed internet and as um, AI disseminates things um, cheaper, will people continue to put in um, dollars to production to make sure that they reach more people and they um, they get a further reach and their production, like they look better and they sound better? Yes, that's going to happen. In fact, most the big entrepreneurs I know are all basically building entire production houses um, for media. But... You know, Mr. Beast didn't do that, right? He's He uses cheap equipment. He just knows how to use the machine. So, in fact, the interesting thing is some of the biggest names that you list that you would think are like the big entrepreneurs um, are not that big on media. So, I do not think we are saturated yet. We're, we're, we're in its infancy. Are you behind the game? Yes. Am I behind? Yes. But, like, the time to start is, it's just like real estate. It's like, would you stop buying real estate now because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, should you? Yeah, yeah. So, would you? Should you not buy now because you, because you didn't get a yes? Well, and then no, the to go. You know, algorithms right. are always changing. So, like TikTok was originally like what they did was they captured everyone's attention with these, you know, fifteen to thirty second, sixty second, super catchy clip clicks that like just kept people scrolling and on feed. And then now they allow you to post up to ten minute videos. That what what's made them. They don't, they don't censor anything. And so, whereas like a lot of, I, I say they don't censor anything, right? Like they obviously censor like certain things, but like as far as, uh, they don't push a narrative. And so on, you know, like, like some of the example, like the, the example that's popular right now is, uh, like if you go and you search for, uh, what's going on in France right now on Instagram or Facebook or any of these major news outlets, you'll see pictures of people traveling. And even if you search by like most recent stuff, you'll see like travel and this and that and like all this happy stuff. And if you go to TikTok, then you'll realize, oh, hey, the prime minister just backed the retirement age by two years without a vote. And the people of France are like burning the city down and it's like the biggest riot they've ever had. But the other media channels aren't even showing content about it and so like tiktok is one of the things that's making it grow right now is that people feel like they can go and talk about 
anything they want there. And TikTok being a non-US run whatever is like, have that, have fun, you know, whatever. And they now that they allow like 10 minute content, like people are using it for more like news related stuff, which is just kind of an interesting change in the platform. But things like that will change, which will just create new opportunities for people. But then I think as the platforms, just different platforms in general grow, uh, you're right, John, there'll be more competition, there'll be more eyeballs, there'll be more whatever. But that also just creates more opportunity for different brands to want to inject more cash into marketing. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting. Like you mentioned with AI coming into social media, it's going to be interesting when we start competing with like AI channels too. All right. And and another interesting thought is right now, like at least from, as from what I understand, most of the AI is like open source. But what happens when like these, you know, companies, these billion dollar companies have their own and they're just using it for themselves, right? Like they have such an advantage over anyone else. And you guys have already, if you, if you guys are using like ChatGPT with the Google plugins, you could already see like the advantage. Dave, that's how I wrote my bio, by the way. Um, but like it, like you could do anything with it. Like you could, you could, with, with I, I wasn't that aggressive with ChatGPT. I was like, wow, this is cool. Until I started messing around with the plugins, like any of the AI plugins, I think, I think that's where the game kind of changes because you can get it to do exactly what you want it to do. And we're in, we're in like year one, basically, of like it being released to the public. What's going to happen? What's going to happen like five years? I think it's now? interesting that you say we're going to compete. I thought, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm, I'm, so we are going to start seeing fully AI media. And so there'll be a podcast that's a, a bot, a complete bot, and there'll be video podcasts and, and, and clips and stuff like that that's complete bots. And um, what's interesting to me is I wonder, I do really wonder, I think I have a tendency to think that people, especially people who like high quality content will continue to want human content. And the people who are sort of like, um, you know, idiots, they will not mind bot driven content and that will create a separation. And so the other thing is this, and this is kind of what I've been thinking about a lot, uh, especially over the last month is we did two things. Well, we, we, the human psychology, right? We want clicks. We want big numbers. And so this is why TikTok rose so well. I mean, their algorithm is great, but what they do is they're getting you on 30 seconds. And so, um, so you can go get these, all these high numbers and it's like, but you got somebody for 30 seconds. So there's really no emotional buy in there. There's no human emotional buy in there. It's just, you're watching somebody dance or you're watching somebody do make something or tell you something, but it's 30 seconds, 60 seconds at a time. And this is why podcasts are so, um, they create so much buy in because you listen to somebody talk for an hour and you get their mannerisms you get to know them. You get to know their, like, especially if they're being authentic, right? You get to really understand who that person is. And so your view count is much lower, but your emotional buy-in for the, for the, the consumer and the, the, the symbiosis is way higher because you're getting them for an hour. And so what I think you're going to start seeing is, um, and, and that's a, a difficult mental, like emotional thing to, for the human, for the consumer, or excuse me, for the, uh, the creator to go through. Because it's like, do you want 500 podcast views? of like diehard fans who will buy your product and, and carry with you for 10 years? Or do you want 10,000 views from TikTok of people who do not care, they're not gonna subscribe, they watched your one little thing and that's it and they don't care. So like the 10,000 sounds better, but it's harder to emote, to buy, to gauge the emotional buy-in. So I say all that to say, um, I th I'm quite sure that the software the companies, they all know this, right? This is why YouTube is sort of the beast because it's 10 minutes, you get a lot of, a lot of 10 minute views is a lot like 10,000 
10,000 followers on YouTube is a lot different than 10,000 followers on TikTok, right? Because you can watch a couple of days worth of content on YouTube, but TikTok, it's like, I can watch your whole, your whole feed and it's, it's two hours worth of content total. And I would view my Facebook group members as even more valuable than my YouTube followers. Sure. Well, same thing with email addresses. So this amount, like it's not just, and so this is, this is John where you're like, is it done? I'm like, dude, this is just getting stuck. People are still figuring this out. They don't know what it is yet. And so what does Sun Tzu say? In chaos, in the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. And so right now, social media is pure fucking chaos. Nobody knows what's going on. Right. In fact, and just one last example, because I've been talking too much is Tucker Carlson, the number one rated, the number one viewed show on cable network television gets, um, I don't know what he gets. Maybe he gets 10 million views an episode, right? Which is a lot. Mr. Beast gets 90 million, right? Like the game is, they've spent millions and millions on Fox news and production and years and they had it. And then Mr. Beast walks, walks over it and in less than 10 years, he just decimates them. My sick everybody knows Mr. Beast. Everybody should know. Everyone does. However, one of the things, so the, all right, kind of coming like full circle back to uh, having like lifestyle businesses and then having like being a, kind of obsessed with what you do. So it, it's easy for most people to look at Mr. Beast on the outside and just go, yeah, like he made some really cool videos and and he blew up, right? Like he blew up on YouTube. But if, if you go to watch any of the podcasts with Mr. Beast, He's not only a genius, but he was obsessed. Like he, if he talks about working from, from, you know, when he wakes up until when he goes to sleep, not taking any breaks and they did everything. Like they would sit and watch YouTube clips from sun up to sundown and just analyze every single thing in the YouTube clip, like different angles of the camera. The, how long the videos are and it gets so in depth and he did that and like i don't know who else is doing that he i i he's like a pioneer in that way and if you look he was terrible in the beginning right but he was obsessed like he was yeah for years right and so like yes like like he was able to beat tucker carlson but i also think he outworked the fuck out of him he was a like he turned into a creative genius and he, like he is a beast you know what i mean Fox News, the platform, right? The, the 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 conglomerate, whatever it is, right? Their their company. There's hundreds of people that make the Tucker Carlson show. He didn't. Mr. Beast didn't outwork hundreds of people. No. What he what he found was an untapped opportunity. He's like nobody's taking this seriously here. They're doing it over there, and the eyeballs are moving. And so this is my point. Where it's like, what's my point is. You're like, did we miss it? I'm like, what happens when the next TikTok comes out? Are you going to be first to platform trying to get those eyeballs or no? Because that's really what we're talking about here. And so when things start moving and shifting and people go, oh, Facebook, you know, it's finally, it's finally getting bored. It's finally getting stale. You know, they did this with, you know, you start to see these other platforms pop up, Telegram and, um, and you know, like the, the Twitter, the angsty Twitter, Truth Social. Who gets to dominate those? And then, and then secondly, Look at David. David's a perfect example, right? He's on TikTok. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. He's done pretty good on all of them. But he's also 33, right? It's his first sort of go with this. He's figured out as he goes. When he like catches a good wind, right? What's going to happen with the next phase, 
right? What's going to happen with the next phase of, I don't know what it looks like, but you know, podcasting goes, goes translated at international. And now he's like, I'll talk to military members from every government, from every country and teach them how to do it. And so next, thing you know, yeah. So my buddy Spencer in 2019 had a YouTube channel with like, I don't know, 700 viewers. Now it's at 500,000, right? Did really, John, did it really go from like, you know, it was open in 2019, you could make it. And now in 2023, four years later, it's too late. No, no. Cause he's like, I'm going all in on YouTube now. So he's like, I'm going to go from 5 million, uh, 500,000. I'm going to get to a million. So I'm going to start a second channel and a podcast. I'm going to do more. So do you have to be more competitive to get more right now? Probably yes. But also you have to be way less competitive than you're going to have to be in 10 years. It's going to get harder. Another thing too is like people talking about the value of your views, right? Like a YouTube view isn't equivalent to a TikTok view, but like really what everybody's doing is they're using them as funnels. So like you have a hundred thousand TikTok views and out of those people, how many people are going to go over and look at your YouTube and then start watching your podcast, right? Like, right. That's how I found Hermosi, right? Short forms. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and one of the things, so I watched an interview the other day, I can't remember the guy's last name, but his first name's Patty. He's from, I don't know, wherever you name Patty, right? Europe. Uh, but Mr. Beast hired him, uh, way back when he works with all the top like YouTubers or a lot of the top YouTubers, right? He's uh very sought after, uh, essentially consultant. And the guy talks about how he reworks hooks and thumbnails, and titles, and whatever. And he's talking about when he did the very first video for Mr. Beast, uh, when Mr. Beast hired him, and he's talking about how they reworked the hook for like the first like 15 seconds of the video. And he said he worked on it for like a day and a half to get that first like 17 second hook right, and reworked the script, and he would record it and rework it and record it and then listen to it and go back a few hours later and listen to it again and just rewrite it until he got it right. <clears throat> and like, it's those little nuanced things that separate, you know, cause the guys who go and they blow up, if you listen to them talk a lot of times, what they're doing is like, they understand like, where do my followers drop? Why are they dropping? Like what word, you know, it's some of that stuff is just it's crazy how, yeah, they, how deep you got it. Yeah, they said, uh, Mr. B says, says he spends on average $100,000 per thumbnail to get it done right. Yeah. Not terrible. But John, like he's, yeah. The thumbnails the titles and hope the biggest in the world. And there's people that are close. It's not like he's the only one and everybody else sucks. Like he's, there's people that are right on his heels. So, and you know what? And also one last thing on that. Now, like, what do you, uh, this is, this is the thing. This is, this is the thing that it's so funny to hear people talk about content and then. You know, I know them from real estate, but all the same lessons apply. Would you only want to do real estate if you could be the biggest in the whole world? No. Right. Could you settle for $20 million of real estate? Would that be cool with you? You know what I mean? What? If... Right. So like this idea that you're like, oh, I, I missed it. I, I can't be Mr. Beast. And it's like, first off, you might be able to probably not because you, you're not as focused on it as him, but like you could, there's so many places in between right now you do zero. Go. Right now you do zero. So it's like, dude. Yeah, there's a million places in between that that could better thigh bingo. And that is pretty much the same conversation we had in Guatemala with a gentleman. But that's a great note to transition because in the intro about 40 minutes ago, 
we said we were going to talk to people about how great this guy was at sales. So, John, I got a question for you. All right. <clears throat> how did you go from professional hide-and-seek for Uncle Sam to becoming a hide and, uh, a, an expert in sales in less than two years? Yes, I just wanted to throw a professional hide and seek in the podcast. Uh, I was. It took me a second. So Dave's referring to. I was a. I was a sniper in the Marine Corps, and uh, that has like nothing to do, like you know, with business, right? And so, like, how do you make that transition? Because like when I originally was looking to get out, I was looking that going the traditional route that people go, that SWAT team, three letter agency, something like that. Um. So I was actually pretty bad with money, like when I was a boot, and so. How when I mean like pretty bad, I mean I was like, holy shit! I have a paycheck for six hundred and fifty dollars as a lance corporal. I was like, I can buy six hundred and fifty dollars worth of stuff this month. Like this is awesome. And so I did that. Like I did that shit for like the first like year and a half. I was I was not responsible with money at all. And uh, it wasn't until I deployed and was and for I was on a mute, but like and was forced to save money that I actually started saving money. And so, you know, I saved up like, I don't know, $40,000 or something, which I thought was like all the money in the world. And I was like, I'm not just going to go back and, and, and spend this $40,000 like I've been doing. I'm going to, I wonder what I could do with this. So I started looking at like some ways to invest. Um, you know, that led me into, into real estate, like led me into the, the bigger pockets community, which actually technically Dave is where we met. Um, and so I, I kind of broke that money up. I, I learned about wholesaling and I spent half of it on a down payment for, for a house or like my closing costs and, and like rate buy down for, for a house might be a loan. And then the other half I spent on marketing for my, for my real estate company and uh, for my wholesaling business. And so I was in the barracks, like just doing SMS blasts. I was spending like, I don't know, maybe like 1500 bucks a month. Uh, maybe a little bit more on, on marketing and like, uh, did a little bit of direct mail and I ended up spending all of it. Like I spent, like I, I, before I made a single penny, I dumped, I went back down to like basically $0 and, uh, I, I, well, I did. And it was in, I invested in education. Uh, one of the biggest things that like, you know, looking back is I didn't know how to close. Like, so I was just getting on the phone with these people I would text them and say, are you interested in selling? They're like, yes. And then I would just do what everybody else does, which I would get on the phone and I would just bullshit with them for like 30 minutes and then throw an offer at them with no context about why they wanted to sell, what their goals were, what happens if they don't sell, how long have they been thinking about selling? Why have they not sold so far? So I, yeah, I invested it. I went down all the way to zero. Uh, I had one deal closed like two months later that uh, was able to basically refund my investment. So I, I, I made like, I don't know, another like $4,000. I was like, all right, cool. I'm putting all this back into marketing. Did the same thing again, like dumped it all back to zero. And then a few months later, you know, I, I started to get like a little bit of traction, but I lost all my money twice. Like a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, I lost $15,000. I'm probably, I, this doesn't work, right? I didn't really look at it like that. I was like, this is, I'm going to make this work um, as long as I have money. So I was just, I funded it and went back down to zero. Um, so I started doing that. Dave, you and I met around the time where I was like just starting to get um, like pretty consistent with my with my deal flow. I was still active duty, but uh, you know I was on I was on bigger pockets. I was still like reading the stuff. I wasn't good necessarily, but I was 
I was, I was doing the thing. Um, so, so we met and as I started transitioning out, I was like, all right, I don't, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be enough to, um, really like sustain my style of living. So I'm also going to get a job as a mortgage lender. Perfect timing. Like I, I'm not a genius. I didn't like see that the rates were going to go low or anything like that. I just walked into like a, a really easy market. So, um, at the time, like I, you know, I, I started to work 12, 14 hours a day. And I was like, how do I continue doing my real estate wholesaling business? And I had to, I had to learn how to leverage other people. So I started scaling that out and I focused on the one thing, which was really important. Like, as long as you have the marketing down, how do you close the deals? It's sales. So I started just doing more research on sales over those last couple of years. And I started monitoring, uh, the calls from my, from my sales reps, I had two acquisition managers that were working full-time. I was managing some VAs, uh, while I was a full-time lender. So I kept that business going. And then the more I kind of realized like the, the biggest thing that makes a difference between people that can spend a lot of marketing and then people that actually make a lot of money off the marketing is the sales process. So I just kept studying and I've always been extremely interested in, in human psychology. Like in almost a way, and like, uh, you know, Dave, you've probably seen this, but when I, when I know when somebody wants to do something, but they're not doing it, it bothers me like to my core. And so like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like you want to quit smoking, but you're not quitting smoking. And like, you know, it's better for you. I am going, and, and if anyone will attest to this, Dave will, I will bother you so much until you stop doing it. And I say bother you, but like, it bothers me. Fuck out of you. I will annoy the fuck out of you. And so like when I started to be like, how do I get people to do like what's best for them? How do I better get people to do what's best for them? And so that's what I started studying even more. And when I switched my framework around, all right, I'm not, I'm no longer trying to push anything. I don't care if they buy from me, but if they want something that they're not doing, how do I get them to do that? And that is when like my, my mindset shifted around sales. And I started, you know, I, I got into different sales training. I started studying sales more, um, which led me into Jeremy Miner's NAPQ, uh, which now I teach his process to to real estate investors so that they can scale their business, you know, to where mine is around six figures a month. Long, long story. Yeah, basically, I should have that. That was like, that was like, uh, four years in the making lots of money lost. I've lost, like, I'm not like a lot of investors will come on and talk about how great they are. I've lost my money so many times. I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on things that I thought I was, that were going to be easy and they weren't. And so what's, what I've come back to is like just the basics, which is marketing and sales. Like that's what, that's my business model. Now I do marketing. I try to get the best quality leads. And I give them to the best trained salespeople. And I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. How do we help people that actually need to be helped? I'm not trying to solicit a bunch of people that don't want to be helped. The people that need my service that reach out to me because they want to sell their house fast for cash. How do I help them in the best way possible? It's by getting salespeople that know what they actually want, know what the, the possible ramifications are if they don't actually act on what they want to do. And then they give them what they want. Like that's all they do. It's funny how you hear different things like Alex heard overnight success. I heard you lost a bunch of money and then you moved in with me and now you're rich. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, dude. Thank, thank you for bailing me out. Um, 
Thank you for bailing me out of that very hard time in my life. Or I was spending like less than a half a percent of my income on rent. No. Um, so I'll tell you, uh, I'll talk about that because it's funny. We've been bullshitting for the last like hour, but um, this would be like something that's valuable. A lot of people ask me that question. Like, is it hard to, like, how do you run a team that's remote? But the reality is what I realized I was living in, I was living in San Clemente, California. And most of my business was in Southern California. Some of it was in like Louisiana. And then uh, once I bought your company, they started being in, in Missouri as well. And so I realized that all of my deals in California, I never left my room. I would work from my room at this point or like when I was when I was in mortgage, I would work from my office. I never went and looked at any of these properties, even though they were local. Like I had salespeople that were local on the ground. I was like, what am I doing? I have to do this from anywhere. I'm never leaving. And so it's not difficult to do remote. Like you're not going to go look at all of your properties anyway. Somebody else is going to do them. And like you mentioned with like hiring good people, right? We were talking about the beginning of the call, getting around like just really good people. When you have people that you can trust, you're not going to go to those properties anyway. And so for us, like it's a pretty simple process. We talk to the seller about the condition of the home. We get them to send us pictures. And we just tell them like, hey, if, they, if you hide it, if you hit anything from us on the property, that's going to come up. Like our investors are going to, they're not stupid. They're going to find the giant foundation problem that you didn't tell uh, tell us about. And we're going to need to renegotiate at that point. But do you understand that? And they're like, yes. And so that's like the worst case scenario is like somebody tried to hide something from you. And even then, like I have no problem going back and renegotiating with a seller saying like, Hey, remember how you said that there was nothing wrong with your house? Well, the roof's falling apart. It's like completely like caved in. Do you see how that could be a problem? Like, yeah, I see how that could be a little bit of a problem. Okay, cool. Like, what should we do from here? I guess we should probably renegotiate the price a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. You know what I mean? So no, like, like I guess like what problems do you see coming up when you're working, when you're running a remote business that would help you when you're in the ground? Yeah, uh, I've bought almost all my properties remote, so I don't find it to be a... Me being at the house doesn't matter because I'm not working on the house. So like I don't, it doesn't, I think sometimes people have a control issue, but um, if you have a control issue, you you, you got to solve that no matter what first anyways. Otherwise you're always like at the mercy of like the geography. Like I have to be at every deal. You can't scale that. And if, if you run a house, if you want to help somebody, like you need sales to do that. Cause you're like, okay, well, why do you want to build this business in the first place? right? It's like, oh, I want passive income. How important is that to you? It's really important. Why is it important? Because one day I want to travel the world and, and go to Spain like Alex Felice, right? It's like, what happens if you keep your frame of thinking that you have right now that you're telling yourself that you can't close deals remote? Like what, what are the ramifications of that, of you just like staying the same, right? Like that's like, and, and like, that's what I started to practice is getting to the goal that people want, right? And then like, you have to change the way that they're thinking now. And that's what a lot of people do is they just say, oh, I can't close deals remote. And they don't think about the consequences of that way of thinking. The consequences of that way of thinking is you're going to stay broke and you're never going to be able to travel the world like Alex or do whatever it is that you want to I couldn't move to Maui. You know what I mean? Just working for a paycheck. Like I had to have my real estate. Yeah, 100%. So long-winded answer, that's how, that's how I kind of like transitioned over. 
Today's sponsor is the War Room. How's the War Room? This is this is a War Room is a community of veterans and uh, and service members who sort of like little tight little niche of, of people that um, that do deals together, grow together, you know, have become really good friends. How's it impacted you? It's so crazy, man. Because I, yeah, I just I was talking about this the other day, and. You can look at it like like directly. Directly, there's been huge benefits, like all the speakers that come that come and talk to us. But I think like what I got out of it more than anything was the indirect. So um, connections like like Adam Whitney, for example, and I'll I'll just kind of go down. Yeah, Adam is a cool guy. Um, and so, for example, like you know, I was I joined the war room, met him, and then he introduced me to a mastermind, uh, which uh, you know we all went to the to the event at uh, Seven Figure Flipping. Right. So like he introduced me to that, which like really taught me how to start scaling like my KPIs, which led me down to like something else. And then like and then like even within that, there's a community in, in that mastermind that's also in the war room. I met Antoine Fernandez, like all of these really, really just incredible players that that measure their KPIs. They're businessmen. Like they're not they're not just like hobbyists or or doing a side hustle or anything like that. And being in a community like the war room and being in with, with around other people that are doing the exact same thing, there's real accountability. Al, Adam Whitney sent me his QuickBooks report for Q1. Like no one fucking does that. Everyone wants to fucking hide and say like, yeah, I made, I made X amount of revenue, right? Adam sent me his fucking QuickBooks and said like, look, this is my fucking P and L. And like, this is how much we spent for like accountability. That I'm not fucking telling you that <laughs> a lot. I'll tell you that, dude. Adam's a fucking. I'll, I will say this. I won't. I won't say way, but I will say like, it's the type of transparency. While everyone else, while the market's fucking rough, everyone else wants to show fucking revenue, right? Or like, like revenue and fucking gross profit. But like, Adam is a business owner, and he's willing to do that because he wants the accountability. And I'm telling you, he's doing the fundamentals right. And that's the type of quality that's in the war room that you don't see. And like Alex, we talked about this, like the, on the civilian side, uh, not too long ago about like, I guess people like being a little bit like less like down to earth, but like, I feel like because of the nature of the military where people get called out for their fucking bullshit, it's like you get to connect with other, other military business owners that are no bullshit. For the most part, now you've got your bad eggs in everywhere, right? Like you've got your your shitty people, but like for the most part, the people that I've met in the war room, they are doing what they say they're doing, and they're and they're running good business fundamentals, and they're eager to learn. They're not just trying to fucking like like flex on social media with their with their gross receipts. You know what I mean? And really to help, like a hundred percent, like like when uh, when. So I jumped in the war room, right? And I started talking to Dave. I was like, I was like, bro, this is when Dave and I were living together. I was like, dude, I, I just, I'm, I want to, to take my business to the next level. I was like, what, what do you think I should do? Like, do you think there's anyone in the war room that could help? And that's actually how, um, he, we connected with Adam. He's like, yeah, dude, Adam's in the war room. Um, anybody in the war room, like you reach out to him, they're willing to connect. Right. And so I reached out to Adam, Adam. Is was full time active duty plus he's running a business. He's like, hey bro, only time I could speak is four thirty in the morning, and he hopped on a call with me at four thirty in the morning to tell me about Seven FF. 
and I joined and that made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And so it's going to make me a lot more like, so that's the kind of, it. it's like the, the, the tangible, the direct, like, yes, there's awesome speakers that come in the world. There's like awesome stuff that you can get out of it, but just the community of people that are a bunch of go-getter, no bullshit, no fuck. They're not flashy. They're like down to earth business professionals that are just looking to do better with their life and they're looking to, to create a better life. I think, man, like you really couldn't ask for a better community. It's not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. It's, it's disgustingly underpriced. It's disgustingly underpriced. So that's what I think about the war room, man. Like I, like I don't, it's less than half of that. Well, it depends on how you pay. So, um, it is, yeah, so it it was it started out at fifty bucks a month, and then it went to a hundred bucks a month. And then what I did was uh, I left it at a thousand dollars a year. But if you are not willing or confident enough to invest in yourself for the full year, it's one hundred and fifty a month. So I I, I added fifty percent to the monthly price. So it's close to two thousand a year. Uh, it might go up soon. Um, I I want to I want to keep it. I, I'm thinking about making it. Uh, it needs to be more expensive, and here's why. This is why I think it needs to be more expensive, and I, I maybe mean, that's a good idea. Like a different price for active. I want to make it affordable for active. That's why it's been never been too high. Okay, that's a good point. And some people, I think, on active duty make like under a thousand dollars a year if you just got it. So that's like a thousand dollars a month. I mean, uh, if you just join. So like, okay, make it. I actually like that. A thousand, a hundred dollars a month, uh, hundred fifty dollars a month for active, and then probably two hundred and fifty for for uh, civilians. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be enough to buy in, though, because people need to actually show up to the calls. I think what's ridiculous is you jump in on some of the war room calls, and there's people in there making over a million dollars a year, like on just like the 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 meeting minutes or or whatever you call those, right? Like people making over a million dollars a year, people with like eight figure net worth, right? Just jumping on casually. And willing to give advice to a PFC that is starting out that hasn't done his first deal. And so, like, where else would you fucking get that? The only way that you're getting that, the only reason that you're getting that is because we're all, we have one thing in common that we've been in the military together, and we like to help each other. That's the only reason. And so, I think, like, great that it's so cheap, but if it was a little bit more expensive and these people knew, hey, I'm going to get to be on a freaking phone call where I could ask like what are probably sometimes like stupid questions to people that will give me really, really good answers because they know what I'm trying to say. Where if I post this in like a Facebook group or ask it on Reddit, like nobody's going to know what the hell I'm trying to say. So like you get consulting from people that was seven figure, eight figure. Dave, you could, I don't know, maybe nine figure. I don't know who else is in the, in, in the war room that has like that kind of net worth, but definitely, definitely, definitely eight. Yeah, definitely eight. And so, um, I just think that like people aren't taking advantage of it like they should be. And I just, if I was a PFC and I could get in a, on a call with a bunch of people that are making, you know, seven figures a year and I had the balls to ask questions, which I would have cause I'm fucking awesome. But like some of these people don't. And so I, I think like if when you when you make it a little bit more expensive people are like shit i need to get my value you should put out like a so they do put out a roadmap and say hey look if the, the price is cheap now and it's going to go up 
So you sort of create this like, hey, if you want to get in, like the time is now. In fact, that's kind of my one of my complaints or one of my regrets. I didn't join GoBundance and now it's like now I'm basically priced out. I have a, a suggestion. I don't know if AI can do this yet, but what would be really cool is I, I just got this off an idea from uh, from our Hermosi podcast I listened to the other day. But like having like basically a grading system in the war room because he talked about doing this for like a for like a sales business. So like, yeah, if you if you don't get the value out of it, well, how many calls did you show up to? How many posts did you post in the group? Right? How many questions did you ask? Because if you showed up to every call for a year, and you and you showed up to your accountability calls every single time, and you asked you know let's say four questions every quarter, like you did like these like we had like these KPIs for people, they would be more successful because typically the reason that people aren't successful when they're around entrepreneurs that are doing seven figures it's not the fucking group it's them they didn't fucking show up they didn't put in the work they didn't show up to the accountability the military like you get out what you put in it's a it's an investment if you don't make a good investment then you don't get a good return and and to me it's everything in life it's a gym it's like the gym membership is not what gets you in shape bro it's you got to go there and work the gym membership is the easiest part and even like what if you just go to the gym and fucking slack off like you're not going to get in better shape than if you fucking go to the gym and you fucking kick your own ass all the time. Are either of you f- fans of Friends? No, I don't have any. Oh, the 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 show Friends. There's a there's a there's a hilarious episode about gym memberships. I'm not the biggest Friends nerd in the world, but they have an episode about trying to cancel their friend their gym membership. So one of the things, uh, one like I don't actually do as much in the war room as I should, and I don't get nearly as much out of it as I could. And some of it's because I, it's because, um, unfortunately I'm just not focused on my, on growing my business right now. Um, but that being said, uh, I met Jeremy and Jeremy changed my life. Um, I, I couldn't have bought my 52 unit without Jeremy, not even close. Um, you know, I ended up going and working for them in Pensacola for, it didn't work out, but for a few months like that, that, that was a huge opportunity. Um, and uh, and a bunch of other smaller little uh, either meetups, relationships. Um, you know, obviously, um, meeting you, John. I met you. I met you through the war room. So, yeah. Uh, and I barely like do. I barely do the minimum. So I know if I did more, I, if I was more focused on my on my business right now, I, there's a lot more to extract. And so, it's just it's just a uh, there's a lot of success that's come out of the war room. So I just wanted to. We were all wearing the shirt, so I just wanted to highlight it. And it's way too cheap. Yeah, 100%. And just like anything, like, it is too cheap. So I like the, yeah, so I spent like $18,000 on sales training uh, this quarter. I think it was like it was like six months of sales training, something like that. And uh, the reason, like, I show up to those fucking calls because it's $18,000. I'm like, I'm not going to fucking not show up for, for $18,000. You know what I mean? And the and since because I show up and I, I get my value out of it and I make I can a ridiculous amount more than the eighteen thousand dollars that I ended up paying for it and every mastermind that I've ever joined like that's the way I've looked at it is like I I need it to be expensive so I'll fucking take it seriously and so I do think that the that the war room could be more expensive and so people will take it more more seriously like the accountability groups maybe like layering them to where like you do have like some more expensive ones or uh, something like that. Um, and I know it's difficult because a lot of people, man, they're active duty. They're in they're we're all over the world, but like 
if you look at the at the war room group that's performing the best, which I think it's the greens, uh, it's the one with uh, Adam and and uh, Travis and yeah. But like, let's just be real. Like, what do they? They have a culture within their own fucking accountability group, which is we show up, right? We show up every fucking time, no matter what, and we provide value. And they have their own culture inside the inside their their accountability group, and that's why they crush it. That's why they've done deals. They've every single one of them has. Have, if you look at where they were a year, two years, they've all grown, and it's because they take it seriously. And they're just that that comes with the type of people they are. But like being able to create. All right, I don't make any money on this or the room, so let's not talk about it anymore. Let's move on. That was a good sales pitch. I got one more question on sales, and then I think Alex and I have two, and we probably need to, otherwise we're going to be like the longest recorded episode ever and probably lose everybody. Alex has to fly to Austin. So I my question is really just a simple softball for you, but anybody who's looking to get into sales, there's a million books, a million coaches, a million resources, a million places and ways that you could join a company or, or just places that you could learn how to become good at sales. What do you think is a good way to begin that journey? Start first. Fucking don't read anything until you start trying to sell something. Like you, you have to start first because if you just go read like a bunch of books, you're not going to have any idea what the hell you're reading. Like it's too, like, like, uh, I, like you're not going to get any value out of it. So start out. And then the the first thing is like a lot of the stuff you can you can get just like anything. There's free content online, like any of the NEPQ stuff. Uh, Jeremy Miner, Matt Ryder, like great stuff. Um, and like and if you don't have any process, a process is better than no process. So you could just look up any process and find a process better than no process. So like that's the first step. Like get started with all the free stuff, right? Then when you're looking to take it from the next level, like get it, get an actual coach that will listen to your calls, monitor your tonality. That's the fastest way to get better. And that's not just with sales. It's like with anything, but, but with nothing else, like the, the biggest thing that people fuck up is at, at any point you feel like you're trying to explain to people why your product's good. And you don't think that they agree with that. You fucked up. Like you didn't do your sale right. Like that is not the point of sales is to tell people how great your product is. It's to find out if they actually need your product to begin with, whatever it is that you're selling, like really find out if they need it, why they need it, how much they've needed, how long they've wanted to, to have that product. And then from there, if your product is the solution for the thing that they want, it should be a pretty easy, it's, it's not even like a close. It's just like, hey, I can help you. And this is how I can help you. You're looking at two get more money. You're looking to make more money, right? And you're in the military. And the reason that you haven't got started is you don't have any information. You don't have any accountability. I feel like that there's a good opportunity for us to be able to help you. Cause you know how you said that you don't have any accountability. You don't have the information. So you feel a little bit scared to get started. Well, what we do is we help people just like that by putting it into a platform called the war room where they get that accountability on a weekly basis. Plus they get all the information. Now it's like you're rolling your eyes, but like, I'm just saying like, all right, but like, let's say somebody comes into us and like, yeah, I'm making, I'm making, I'm a civilian, right? And I, and I make a million dollars a year and I'm looking to uh, just like raise money. It's like, all right, you might be better off in another fucking mastermind. So like knowing that, how the fuck are you going to know that if you don't ask? 
Yeah. So I think that's like my one sales tip for people is like, stop trying to push your product. Like ask, learn how to ask questions where people will actually tell you what it is they want and what are the consequences of them not doing the thing that they want. Love it. Oh, I got one. What was the next question? Oh, there we go. Uh, if you're talking to a 20 year old service member in the military, he's got some thick skin and he has a little bit of competent, uh, competence but he's arrogant. He's wasting every dollar he makes. He's going broke just to drive a Dodge Charger. He's drinking way too much. He thinks reading books is stupid. His credit is terrible. And he's the coolest one in his little social group. Now, basically you at 20. What do you say to that kid? What do you say to that kid? That's our that's our demo. That's our listener. What do you I think to get through his thick? The first thing that you need to do and I'm going to bring it back to the sales process is you need to figure out like, uh, you need to get, make them realize where they're at. So like, Hey dude, how's your life going? Right? Like, like how much money do you have in your bank account? Okay. You don't have any money. That could be, that could be trouble. Like what, what does your life look like? If you continue on this path that you're doing, right? If you continue spending every fucking dollar that you make and you continue not reading any books and you continue drinking every fucking weekend when you're 40, what does your life look like if you continue doing the exact same thing? It's like, oh, it looks like this. Do you do you like the fact that your life would look like that if you if you continue doing what you're doing? No. Okay, so what should we do to change? Right? And so like I think that what people try to do and like parent like parents do this shit all the time. Is that like you need to get your fucking life together. You need to you need to stop drinking. You need to stop you need to start saving money. You need to go to college. Like all this bullshit and like they don't get through to anybody because no one's going to listen to someone that's like just telling them what to do, right? But like what you need to do first and if you're in this scenario, like if this is you listening and you're in this scenario and you're spending every dollar that you're getting and you're drinking every single weekend or even every day and you're not investing your money, like make it fucking hurt. Like if you guys heard the story about the dog sitting on the nail, I'm going to tell it regardless. So like there's a dog and he's, and he's sitting on a nail so he's like, his friend comes over and the dog's the dog's whimpering, right? He's whimpering. He's like, dude, why is your dog crying? He's like, ah, he's, he's sitting on a nail. He's like, why doesn't he just get up? He's like, ah, it's not bad enough to get up. And so that's the scenario that I would say most people are in in their lives. They have some pain, but it's not bad enough for them to change. So like, if you're trying to help somebody, like I would be trying to help this fucking idiot that was me when I was 20. I need to make him realize where he's at. And then maybe make the nail hurt a little bit fucking more. And so that's like the first thing that I would do is make them realize where they're at, like, like identify where you're at and identify like what happens when you continue on this path. Like, do you, like, when then what do you want? Because anything's fucking possible, right? Like you could own a million dollar a year company, a $10 million a year company, a fucking hundred million dollar a year company. If you're just willing to fucking make the sacrifice, if the pain of not hitting that hundred million dollars a year is bad enough, you will do the things to hit that $100 million a year. So same thing back to like the Lance Corporal that's drinking every day. Like what continue, like what happens if you continue? And it's like, what are you going to do to change? I think it's just something simple with like getting fucking started in the right direction. You'll start compounding in the right way. All right. <clears throat> and finally, what trait do you think veterans have that uh, sets them apart from civilians? And how can you use it to your advantage? Dude. Bro. Okay. So I, 
I interview a lot of people. So I have like a, a something like charged with this. Like I interview a lot of people, right? I'm always interviewing, trying to grow my team. And I would say 90% of like good veterans, because you've got your, your 10%, your bottom 10% that are just trash. But like the ones that like really did their job, they're proud of being in the military. Just the ability to show up on time and do what you're supposed to do is something that you would be so surprised is lacking. And like the normal, like your normal 24 year old straight out of college who thinks he's fucking entitled to the world. The, the military vets just don't have that. When you ask them to do something simple, like, Hey, show up to this interview five minutes early and make sure your camera and your audio is working. <laughs> but like when you ask them to do like simple things like that, they fucking do it because they're used to it. They're, they're used to getting fucked up when someone tells them to do something and they don't do it. There's consequences where these kids that come straight out of college and they can miss class if they want, they can, you know, they feel a little hungover. They don't show up. Like that's the thing. Like when you're in the military, like you fucking go out drinking the night before you never run that fucking PFT. You're going to fucking work out the next day and it's going to fucking hurt. So you, you can go out and do it. You can go out. I know I have tons of friends even in recon that would go out and fucking drink the night before like an eight mile run and they would fucking suffer during the eight mile run. And like that shit just doesn't happen in the civilian world because you could just miss college if you're hungover. And so I think like the one trait that, that sets them apart is just the ability to just show up and do what you're told, no matter what, no matter if you're hungover, no matter if you didn't sleep good the next night, just fucking do it. And that one trait will make you so successful. Yeah, I, it's so interesting you've put it that way. I remember the story I always tell is uh, it's like day one in basic and, you know, drill sergeants are yelling at you and they're getting you all frazzled and they're like, just put your fucking duffel bags, dress right dress along the sides of the thing. And like everybody's fucking it up, right? They're all messing, we're all messing it up because we don't know what we're doing. And they're like, it's simple, you idiot, it's simple. And then it's like, but, and then the excuses start coming out. And so the one that it gets me is always, it's, it's like, ah, uh-uh, you fucked up. Just say you fucked up. Don't, I don't want to hear why. Don't, don't do all that. Just fix it. Just shut the fuck up and fix it. And so that culture gets beat into you, like beat into your, into your skull. And then, um, and then I just don't, you know, if I fuck up, I fuck up. I mess up every day. I just don't, it doesn't matter. I'm fixing it. I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not trying to absolve myself of, of why. So anyways, I love that answer because people will, uh, I had a kid yesterday. I wanted to hire him for editing. I, uh, met up with this local photography group. I asked the group, I'm like, Hey, I need an editor. He's like, dude, I've been wanting an editing job. I'm like, great, right? He works for the church. He gets paid no money and he's a window cleaner. I'm like, great. I need like a full-time editing person. I can, and it's for Brandon Turner. Like there's opportunity here. He's like, I'll be at your house at 3 p.m. He texts me at 8 p.m. And he's like, and I was already, my phone was off. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm ready now. And I, and then I text him the next morning. I was like, dude, I just got your, I didn't see this till this morning. And then he didn't text me back. And so I'm like, I'm going to get somebody else. I'm going to get somebody in the Philippines for half the price. I just, you just, it's I have a dispositions manager who was a, a machine gun leader and uh, is a, so he's a 0331 like he made he made machine gunners in the Marine Corps and uh the attitude that he has versus like maybe some of the people that have been on my team that haven't been in the military it's just like hey this is what you need to do and every time he brings something like he doesn't let's say he doesn't close the deal he's like hey I fucked up I think this is how I fucked up but let me know if I if I could have done something else better it's never like, 
well, the the person that was buying this property, they were just an asshole and they were kind of a dick. And I, you know, it's not my, it's always like, I could have done something to accomplish the mission. Like, what do you think I could do better? I like, I did something wrong. It's an extreme ownership mentality. He shows up fucking every single time. He shows up ready to go. And another thing that's like a, I don't know. I just like personally is it's not like, Hey, how's your day going and everything? It's like mission. It's like, it's like, all right, so this is where we left off. This is where we're going. Let's get into it. Yeah, so that's the problem I have at my company, actually, is because I think a lot of the people there, they like small talk. They want to get warmed up into meetings. And I'm like, I don't care how your day is. Here's what here's what's going on. Like, here's the here's work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care about your feelings. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Alex, you might, you might actually be one of the only people who's actually seen this yet, Alex. But, uh, you know, I, start, I realized... <clears throat> like what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago that I could, you could buy a domain and link it to your personal Zoom meeting. So I have warroomcalls.com is for all the new warroom calls rather than having to create different links for all the different calls. And what I would did that and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to create a unique one for all of my personal meetings or, or business meetings on the other side so that I don't have to keep creating new links and have all my different stuff for all my different calendars. Like it's just going to be one link that always goes to my personal, whatever. And I was trying to come up with something kind of creative, kind of sassy, kind of fits my brand, my personality, whatever that would be, you know, get a point across to people that I'm getting on calls with and also be kind of funny to anyone else who runs a business and understands whatever. And the domain that I settled on was don't be five minutes late.com. And I think it's funny that we're talking about this because my internal rule to me is that if I have a call scheduled with somebody or someone scheduled time with me, if they do not text me or email me that they are running behind at if it is a five o'clock call, when that clock strikes five oh five, I'm logging off and they're not rescheduling with me. Unless they can hit unless unless they hit me up and it's like, you know, hey, my my got in a car wreck or like some legitimate thing, you know? It's like, nope, sorry. And so I don't tell anyone that. That's my internal rule. But I figure the uh I figure the domain kind of my uh kinda like cal- so. my calendar link. Good answer. I think for my for my my company calendar link is nothing takes twenty minutes and the the meeting time is only twenty minutes. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. We don't need to have fucking seven meetings in a week to get one thing done. On in sixty seconds. If someone doesn't show up, plus like I think what bothers me the most is if you're like sometimes I've requested time from someone that's like now make I'm I'm asking something from them, dude. I'm showing up fucking 10 minutes early i'm making sure that there's no problems with my internet my audio my camera i'm showing up ready i've got notes like i'm not fucking there to waste time and i'm not asking how the fuck they're doing like hey cool yeah like let's let's fucking go yeah all right uh let's wrap it 100 all right yeah uh john you're awesome you got any part of cuts uh Join the fucking war room if you're thinking. Actually, about it. David, I got get around people. I got an idea that are fucking once a month. Hold on, don't interrupt me. So, <laughs> join the war room if you're thinking about it. If you are 20 years old, or I don't, some of you are fucking 30 years old, and you're doing the exact shit that Alex said. If you are that person, fucking stop doing it and think about what happens if you spend another 10 years of your life being a lazy fuck, and think about what you could be. You could be awesome like me, fucking crushing it, living in Colombia. I was going to add some other stuff, but I'll probably leave that out. Um, 
But you could be, I don't know. Go look at my wife. She could do be cool. Like we should do a, we should have a war member on the show. That should be a podcast guest. Yeah. And that one. 100%. And maybe not bullshit for the first 40 minutes like we did. No, it's then, fun. But that was kind of fun. People have personalities. We want to, we like, we like fleshing that out. Yeah, I think that'd be good. And that'd be a, that'd be a little bit of a perk for War Room members as you can get on the podcast. I like it. I like it indeed. John, always good catching up and uh, hope to come see you in Medellin. And, and I think Ecuador is what we're thinking for a volcano here potentially in June, it sounds like. Alex is invited. Hey, um, are we going to see Tool? We'll figure something. Uh, is that a thing? Not a priority for him. It's in October. It's like when is it? Yes, on. It's it's in California. Let it be on the on the on the record and recorded. Yes, they're gonna play. I'm down as long what? as you're gonna play. Say yes, song. and there's still tickets. Play schism and 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 um and 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 the pot. still better than any other band. Good. Ah, still better than all the other lineups. All right, this is fun. I'll see you guys in. I'll see you at Tool. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.